Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Oracle Network. Look deeper. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome back. I'm your host, Melanie Peterson, and I have a confession to make. I know each week I come to you with a story that is the most horrifying or disturbing or bizarre or stomach-churning, and as much as I hate to get repetitive, quite frankly, this one is definitely one for the books, and there are not nearly enough adjectives in the world to describe how this case makes me feel. Not because of the atrocious crimes that our killer committed. Authorities believe he most likely murdered as many as 400 young girls, or his flat-out unrepentant attitude, but more so because of the fact that after 16 years of custody, Pedro Alonso Lopez, the monster of the Andes, the man who terrorized the South American countries of Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia for over a decade, had somehow been declared fit to return to society, walked out the front door, and vanished. To this day, no one knows if he is dead or alive, and if he is alive, 22 years after the fact, where is Pedro Lopez? Buckle up, my friends. This one is going to be a bumpy ride. This is Mask of Sanity. Before he would become known as one of the world's worst serial killers, convicted of murdering at least 57 girls between the ages of 9 and 12, with potential numbers suggesting over 400, Pedro Lopez endured a traumatic, unstable, and abusive childhood. He was born on October 8, 1948, in Tolmia, Colombia, to a woman named Benilda Lopez de Castaneda. Pedro's father, Menardo Reyes, was actually married to another woman and having an affair with Benilda. He was killed during La Violencia, which was a decade-long civil war in Colombia between the country's conservative and liberal parties. And this happened when Benilda was just three months pregnant with Pedro. He would be the seventh of 13 children, quote, was polite as a boy and wanted to be a teacher, according to his mother, end quote. After he was captured, Lopez stated his mother was not the kind and loving parent she claimed to be, and that he endured physical abuse from his mother, who was a sex worker, 
as well as from clients of hers who came to the family home. Lopez, quote, also claimed that from a young age, he would watch his mother have sex with clients and that she would let them hit her on occasion, end quote. So the emotional and physical abuse that Lopez was subjected to at such a young age no doubt affected his emotional development and his ability to learn right from wrong. When he was eight years old, his mother kicked him out of the house because she caught him allegedly molesting his younger sister. Lopez later stated, quote, My mother threw me out when I was eight after she caught me touching my sister's breasts. End quote. Other reports say there was no molestation and that Lopez simply ran away. But either way, a young Lopez would end up living on the streets of Bogota for a short while. At one point, he was approached by a man who said he could take him in, give him somewhere to sleep, a hot meal, safety, and Lopez, being young and in need, took the man up on his offer. But instead of fulfilling the promises he made to Lopez, the man was actually a pedophile who took him to an abandoned building and sexually assaulted him several times. After this assault, Lopez decided to, quote, join a gang of street children for protection. The gang would often fight others with knives and belts for food and places to sleep in. They would also smoke bazooko, a type of drug derived from cocaine, end quote. Lopez would spend several years living on the streets, homeless and begging for food, and extremely wary of strangers, rightfully so. He, quote, slept in alleyways and empty village market stalls, drifting from town to town and living hand-to-mouth on the streets, end quote. While living in Bogota, he was taken in by an American family who took pity on him. They saw him on the streets, begging, starving, so they gave him room and board and enrolled him in a school for orphans. However, this brief glimmer of a hopeful future would be short-lived as Lopez soon ran away after he was allegedly molested by a teacher when he was 12 years old. He also reportedly stole some money from the school, and over the next several years, he began resorting to a life of crime. He would steal cars and sell them to local chop shops for cash. Eventually, this would catch up with him and he was arrested in 1969 for auto theft and sentenced to a seven-year prison sentence in Bogota when he was 18. Not long after he was sent to prison, Lopez claimed he was gang-raped by three inmates. Now, there's no question that the repeated sexual assaults that Lopez endured through his developmental years had a significant and traumatic effect on him. After the gang rape, Lopez recalled that he, quote, made a ship for himself and hunted down his rapists, killing all of them. Now, some versions claim he was also raped by a fourth inmate who escaped his wrath and also that he strangled the ringleader of the rapist with his bare hands, end quote. Unfortunately, violence begets violence and the attack on his attackers earned him both respect and fear from the other inmates. So, Fortunately, he was never bothered again, but at the same time, his retaliations on the men who assaulted him were actually considered acts of self-defense by the local Colombian Justice Department, and because of this, only two years were added to his previous sentence. Now, this justification for his revenge, I think, also helped instill in him a sense of fearlessness and bravery, for lack of a better term for what he would go on to commit against all these young girls and women. Once he was released from prison in 1978, Lopez moved to Peru and emerged as a new, devious type of man. He would begin abducting, raping, and murdering young girls, averaging three a week. When asked why years later, he said, quote, 
I lost my innocence at the age of eight, so I decided to do the same to as many girls as I could, end quote. He wanted to make as many little girls feel as helpless and scared as he did when he was sodomized by the man in the abandoned building. At one point, Lopez had gotten into a routine of abducting children from Indian tribes due to their isolation in smaller communities, lesser chance of authorities getting involved, therefore giving him a better chance of success. He had attempted to kidnap a nine-year-old girl from an Awachuco Indian tribe, but was caught in the act by tribal members. Now, according to their law, quote, anyone caught for such a crime would be sentenced to death, a punishment which involved being buried alive, end quote. Members of the tribe beat him, they tortured him. He was, quote, buried up to his neck by the natives who planned to pour syrup on his head and let him be eaten alive by ants. However, he was saved when an American missionary intervened and convinced them to let her deliver him to police, end quote. Initially, the tribe refused. And... It took some convincing, but they finally relented and they let Lopez go with this missionary. I can understand wanting to intervene if you think you're seeing unjust punishment. However, clearly this missionary didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know who she just freed or why he was being held by by these people. Because instead of taking him to the police like she promised, she went back on her word and drove Pedro Lopez to the Colombian border and set him free. This punishment and near-death experience had little effect on Lopez and he soon resumed killing young girls as he roamed through Colombia and Ecuador. At this point, police were actually convinced that the ever-increasing number of missing girls was due to slavery and prostitution rings rather than it being the work of a single man. Families of the missing girls did everything they could think of to try to find their daughters. They put up flyers, they put ads in newspapers, hoping for any hint or clue as to the whereabouts of their missing girls. In 1980, there was a flash flood in Mbato, Ecuador that swept through and overflowed a riverbed near the town, unearthing the bodies of four children on the riverbed who were previously thought to be missing. All of the young girls had been strangled to death and, quote, with such force, that with three of them, their eyes had popped out of their sockets. The fourth girl was found with her eyes frozen open with a look of terror on her face, end quote. The discovery of the children led authorities in Ecuador to consider that there was a serial murder on the loose. And on March 9, 1980, Lopez attempted to abduct 12-year-old Maria Poveda from the Plaza Rosa marketplace in Mbato, but thankfully, her mother, Carvina, and other women nearby intervened and stopped the kidnapping. Lopez was detained by some of the local traders, and some reports say he was on the verge of being lynched when police arrived to arrest and take him away because they were furious. They knew that there was a man going around kidnapping, possibly murdering children. They stopped him. They had a good idea that this was the man responsible. As he was being arrested, Lopez became kind of irate and shouting at the crowd, insisting that he was a good person, that he didn't mean any harm, that he wasn't going to hurt her. After arriving at police headquarters, Lopez was interrogated according to the rights and standard protocol befitting an Ecuadorian citizen. Except Lopez wasn't an Ecuadorian citizen and confessed to being a drifter from Colombia. And that changed everything. Upon learning this, the police lieutenant, quote, beat him and accused him 
of being part of a gang abducting girls from Mbato. The officer threatened to kill him if he didn't confess, but Lopez remained silent, end quote. Clearly, the physical intimidation wasn't working, so a new approach was taken. And I have conflicting stories about how this happened, so I'll just go with the most commonly used one. Police engaged the services of a man named Pastor Cordova Godino. He was a local priest, and they sent him in undercover as an inmate and put him in the same cell as Lopez. After a bit of conversation, swapping stories, Godino was instructed to tell Lopez that he had been arrested for rape, and after a little bit of this, it was almost like a dam broke, and Lopez was only too eager to tell him every detail he could remember about the countless murders he had committed. Over the next month, Godino relayed all he could remember to the police. He claimed that he didn't sleep for 27 days because he was actually terrified of being murdered in his sleep. And in April 1980, police conducted a follow-up interrogation with Lopez, bringing up all the findings from his conversations with Godino. Realizing he was caught, Lopez broke down and told them everything. Authorities also contacted their counterparts in Peru and Colombia to confirm parts of his story. He had such a clear memory of every crime and confessed to killing at least 110 children in Ecuador, more than 100 in Colombia, and at least another 100 in Peru. With such remorselessness, Lopez stated, quote, I like the girls in Ecuador. They're more gentle and trusting, more innocent. They're not as suspicious as Colombian girls, end quote. Lopez detailed how he would pick his victims hunting during the day. He said, quote, he would walk the streets looking for innocent girls who he would lure away with the promise of gifts, end quote. He explained that he would bring the girls to graves he had already dug, sometimes with the bodies of previous victims already in them, and then he would do his best to keep them calm until sunrise. It was then that the unforgivable brutality of Pedro Lopez would come out. As the sun rose, quote, he would rape and strangle them, satisfying his sick sexual needs as he watched their eyes fade as they died. He never killed at night because he could not see his victim's eyes and felt without that element, the murder was a waste, end quote. He also confessed to playing games with the bodies once he had killed them. He would have conversations with them or have these gruesome tea parties where he'd prop three or four girls up in a shallow grave and just sit there talking to them, enjoying their company. But once he got bored, he'd go find a new victim. His bloodlust was uncontrollable. He couldn't find victims fast enough to satisfy him, and he even admitted to following tourist families because he was particularly drawn to, quote, their beautiful blonde daughters, end quote. All the while Lopez was telling the story, police were beside themselves, like basically jaws on the table, and unable to believe that everything they had just listened to was true. So to prove his story, Lopez offered to show them where he had buried the bodies, going to each gravesite and watching as authorities recovered the bodies of more than 53 dead children. According to Major Victor Lasagno, director of the Ambato prison, quote, if someone confesses to 53 you find and hundreds more you don't, you tend to believe what he says. I think his estimate of 300 is very low because in the beginning he cooperated with us and took us each day to three or four hidden corpses. But then he tired, changed his mind, and stopped helping." End quote. Now, why Lopez thought he wouldn't be held accountable for his crimes is beyond me, but apparently the reason why he stopped cooperating 
was that he realized he was going to be charged with murder. However, the discovery of the 53 bodies from more than 30 graves gave police no choice but to believe his initial story, and Lopez was arrested and charged with murder. As the details of his crimes became more and more known, the public began to refer to him as the Monster of the Andes. On January 25, 1981, he was charged with 110 murders that he detailed during his confession. Police said he could have been charged with 350, but due to the rising costs and complications of additional trials in Peru and Colombia, they decided to keep it as simple as possible in order to ensure a conviction. And in 1983, he was sentenced to life imprisonment, which only had a 20-year maximum sentence in Ecuador. So my question is... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Why say life imprisonment? If you're not going to keep him in prison for life, don't say life imprisonment. And this law, actually, after some research, seems like it was something that had been passed well over 100 years ago and just never was updated. But... If I was presented with someone like this, I would take that as the opportunity to maybe update our laws so that he would spend more than just 20 years in prison for the murder of suspected murders of 350 young girls. Lopez spent the next 16 years as a resident of the Pavilion B section of Quito's Garcia Moreno prison, where at one point he found himself in the company of another equally brutal serial killer, Daniel Camarajo. The majority of his time in prison was actually spent in solitary confinement because of a $25,000 bounty on his head from relatives of some of his victims. In 1992, Lopez was asked to be interviewed by Ron Leitner, who worked with the National Examiner. Leitner had access to Lopez and could ask him questions concerning his crimes. So he arrives at the prison. He's walking down the corridor towards the cell containing one of the world's worst known serial killers. He crept along quietly and remembered peeking into the barred window and seeing Lopez sitting with his back against the wall and flexing his unusually large hands. That's something that seems to come up a lot, how big and powerful Lopez's hands were. Leitner prepped his camera and had it focused on the window when suddenly he heard a guard hiss down the hall. And apparently the guards like to do whatever they could to try to torment the man who instilled such fear in all these different countries. What happened next gave Leitner an up-close and personal look at just how terrifying and rage-filled Lopez was. Upon hearing the guard, Lopez started moving in his cell and suddenly rushed at the window, growling and snarling at the man on the other side as Leitner snapped a photo, immortalizing the killer. Leitner returned to the prison the following day, this time with prison director Victor Lasagno, to conduct the interview. After he stepped into the cell, Lasagno introduced him to Pedro Lopez. Leitner recalled extending his hand to shake Lopez's, noticing his surprise, 
but then watching as his eyes focused while he, quote, gripped my hand and began squeezing. His enormous hand, which has exerted so much pressure on young girls' necks that many had their eyes popped out by the pressure, now turned its power on me. My hand went numb. If I'd been wearing a ring, my fingers would have broken, end quote. He said the pressure on his hands was so extreme that he was on the verge of screaming, but almost as quickly as the handshake began, Lopez stopped, looked Leitner in the eyes, and smiled. Total power move, basically just letting Leitner know just how dangerous he was and that he wasn't intimidated. At this point, Lopez invited Lasagno into the cell with him, but Lopez, in true sociopathic form, refused to move further with the interview unless Lasagno agreed to let his daughter, who was there to serve as an interpreter, also come inside the cell and to let him touch her hands. His justification for this twisted request was that he had not touched a woman in almost 12 years, and for good reason, and to touch just the hands would be enough to satisfy him. Now, when I read this, I, it made my stomach do flip-flops, and it's just so sick. And what's worse, Lasagna agreed. He allowed Lopez to reach through the bars of his cell and touch his daughter's hands and wrists. Now, while this was happening, guards had their guns on him the whole time, but I'm sorry. What? Did his daughter have any kind of say in this transaction? I mean, why... I mean, I understand she was there to serve as an interpreter, which she is a braver girl than I will ever be. But why further subject your child to the whims of the monster of the Andes? During this interaction, Leitner recalled how, quote, the young woman held out her hands and the monster carefully touched her wrists with the tips of his fingers and noticing how big and strong his hands were, abnormally so. He then released her and agreed to talk telling him at 26, the warden's daughter was too old to interest him, end quote. The guards continued to keep their weapons focused on Lopez for the remainder of the interview. Leitner listened as Lopez recalled his childhood, how he would stalk and abduct his victims, and then he went on to explain his favorite part, the moment of death. He said, quote, at the first sign of light, I would get excited. I forced the girl into sex and put my hands around her throat. When the sun rose, I would strangle her. It was only good if I could see her eyes. I never killed anyone at night. It would have been a waste in the dark. I had to watch them by daylight." End quote. He also discussed how he would ensure the girls were dead. He'd either slit their wrists to see if blood was still pumping, or hold a mirror under their nose to see if they were still breathing. And if they were still alive, he would do whatever he could to finish to finish the job. And as if it wasn't already horrific enough, the details he was going into, he just kept right on going. He said, quote, There is a wonderful moment, a divine moment, when I have my hands around a young girl's throat. I look into her eyes and see a certain light, a spark, suddenly go out. Only those who kill know what I mean. The moment of death is enthralling and exciting. Someday when I am released, I will feel this moment again. I will be happy to kill again. It is my mission." End quote. Now, here's where the facts start to get a little muddled in terms of how Lopez ended up walking free, because I have found a couple different reports and they're conflicting in terms of when and how and where. One 
is that he served all of his time in Ecuador before being released in 1999, but there are also reports that he was released from prison in Ecuador in 1994, rearrested, and extradited to Colombia, tried, and then committed to a psychiatric hospital before he was found sane and then released. So I'm going to do you a solid and give you both versions. The end result is still the same. He ended up walking free. So the first version is that on August 31st, 1994, Lopez was released from prison in Ecuador only to be rearrested an hour after as an illegal immigrant and was handed over to Colombian authorities. They were going to try to charge him with a murder from 20 years prior, but it didn't stick. Now, there were plenty of citizens who were super angry that Lopez had been released from prison and wasn't being punished entirely, they felt, for the crimes he committed. But until police had more evidence, they couldn't officially charge him or really do anything. So Lopez was relocated to El Espanol, a small town southwest of Bogota, and then they were basically just waiting for a victim to come forward basically they needed they needed something needed needed evidence they needed a story they needed something to make this happen and allegedly sometime in 1994 shortly after lopez arrived in colombia a woman named alba sanchez came forward with her story she said in 1979 she witnessed pedro lopez quote walk away with her daughter flora alba from her home and then Flora Alba's body was found raped and strangled outside town, end quote. Now, given that this was the same MO from all of Lopez's known murders in Ecuador, they decided that this was enough to charge him. So he went to trial and was found guilty. However, his defense attorney insisted that he undergo a psychiatric evaluation first before receiving his punishment. The evaluation declared that Lopez was insane, and in 1995, he was sent to a psychiatric wing of a hospital in Bogota instead of prison. In February 1998, Lopez underwent another evaluation, but this time he was found sane, and on the condition that he pay his bail, which reports shown either he paid $50 or $70, and agree that he would continue to receive psychiatric treatment and report into police every month, they would let him go, but it didn't quite work out that way. He walked out the door a free man, and there was never so much as a follow-up. No one ever saw him again. The second version has Lopez never even going to Colombia and not being interned at a psychiatric hospital, but rather spending his entire time behind bars in Ecuador. Now, since Ecuador had no death penalty, a 20-year limit for life sentences, and the inability to pass sentences consecutively, they decided that he should be released for good behavior towards the end of his prison term. He had only been in prison for about 16 years now, but how they were able to justify his time in prison versus what he was convicted of and still capable of and what he promised to do upon his release, how they got good behavior out of that or just giving him that kind of a pass baffles me. Now, like I said earlier, if these rules were passed well over a hundred years ago, like authorities claimed, again, why not update your laws, come into modern times and change what doesn't make sense, especially when you're faced with a man who has committed the most brutal crimes imaginable. Why keep 
the 20 year maximum as is. Now, according to an article published by Leitner, in the middle of the night, just after midnight on New Year's 1999, quote, four loyal prison guards and an officer took him out of solitary cell 29 in Pino Garcia de Moreno, where he had been moved in Quito, and with his powerful hands cuffed behind his back, put the world's worst serial killer into the back of a locked police van, end quote. At this point, I can only imagine what Lopez was thinking. Was he scared he would be killed? Remember, there was also that pretty hefty bounty on his head up for grabs. Was he worried that they were just going to drive him out into the middle of nowhere, kill him, collect the reward? Hard to say. I think that's probably a valid concern for him to have, given, given the situation. But that's not what happened. There were two additional vehicles escorting the transport van as they drove him to the Colombian border. Once they got to the border... Lopez was released, they gave him a change of clothes, some Colombian pesos, a little bit of food, bottle of water, and they ordered him to never return to Ecuador. But just a week later, Lopez was actually discovered back in Ecuador, so authorities took him right back to Colombia. They didn't want any part of him. And they knew that if he stayed in Colombia, if he got caught, he would be tried and face a firing squad because Columbia has the death penalty, but he just disappeared into the night and he hasn't been seen since. Regardless of whether it was Ecuador or Colombia who ultimately released him, possibly neither country wants to take responsibility, which I get. The fact is that this man, one of the most dangerous men in the world, was released back into society and I, for the life of me, will never understand why. Good behavior or found clinically sane Neither one is a justifiable reason in my eyes to release a man who during his time in captivity stated multiple times that when he was released, he would absolutely go back to the same murderous habits he had before. Reports after his release show he visited his mother, asked her for an inheritance, but I can't imagine that would have been much, but he realized his mother had nothing to give him, so he stole her bed and her chair and sold them, took the money, and disappeared. Rumors have spread far and wide about his whereabouts. There are claims from people who have seen Pedro Lopez, and citizens of Ecuador were pretty much hysterical when they heard he'd been released, and rightfully so. This was an extremely dangerous man, a man who never repented or accepted responsibility for his crimes. It was a game to him. He enjoyed it. He seems to have played the system, and he had at least one bounty on his head. So... The chances of him actually still being out there roaming around, I think, are slim to none. But he was also suspected in a 2002 murder in El Espanol that even involved an arrest warrant being sent out by Interpol. That's how badly they wanted to find him. And again, even with all of this, the rumors and the uncertainty, Pedro Lopez has never been seen again. So here we have the case of Pedro Lopez, one of the most horrifying serial killers ever to be captured. And what do they do? They let him out. The man said he would do it again. It's what brings him pleasure. It is his mission. I can't even believe that I'm saying that and I can't believe that he was just allowed to walk out a free man. And then he just vanished. He claimed to have murdered at least 350 girls, and most authorities involved believe that 
for as high as that number sounds, it's probably too low. He was absolutely the epitome of the moniker bestowed on him by the public. And if there was one person you never, ever, 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 ever should have let walked out a free man, it's him. And the fact that no one has seen or heard from him since his release is mind-blowing. And I am not ashamed to say that I hope someone caught up to him not long after he was released and took care of him. The amount of lives, the amount of families that he destroyed, they don't deserve to live in fear that this man would find his way back and begin committing the same atrocities that he had been arrested for 20 years prior to his release. Okay, friends, keep sending your episode suggestions my way. Again, you can submit through any of the social medias, and if you haven't done so yet, Please follow the Oracle Network on Twitter and Instagram at Oracle Network. Oracle is spelled O-R-A-C-L-3. Check out our website as well. There are links and podcast players for all of the podcasts in the network. So you can listen to all these amazing shows and maybe you'll, you'll find a new favorite. The website is linked in my episode notes along with my resources and my Patreon link. If you're interested in bonus episodes and minisodes, Thank you all so much for listening. Please stick around after the episode for the promo trailer for the true crime podcast, Murder and More. And be sure to join me next week for a brand new episode. I've got my eye on the case of Mr. Charles Albright. Until next time, stay safe, friends. Hi guys, Kira from Murder and More here. I am the solo host of the UK-based true crime podcast, where each Sunday I tell you about a murder, disappearance or serial killer. Murder and More is available to listen to wherever you get your podcasts, including platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter and Tumblr at Murder and More, Instagram at Murder and More Pod, and on Facebook at Murder and More Podcast. Head over to murderandmorepodcast.wordpress.com to find out more.